Hello and welcome back to Portrait of an Editor and to 2024. I am Francis Lombard. I know it's been a few months since my last episode, so I thought it would be great to reconnect with Will Dennis regarding uh, what he's been up to so far with 2024 and what he did at towards the end of 2023. Uh, FYI, I plan on getting back into the game, I guess, of releasing episodes in March. I'm going to ramp up and do some interviews this coming month and in February, and then hopefully get on a on you know a regular schedule. So look forward to that. And here's me and Will just sort of uh, reconnecting and talking about a few things in 2023 and a few things in 2024. Enjoy. Well, hey, Will, welcome back. It's 2024. Um, as I, I don't know if anybody read my uh, little message, uh, just the last end of 2023 was a busy year. Um, I still don't think I did half the projects I needed to get done, but um, um, we just uh, wanted to do a launch of 2024 for Portrait of an Editor, Cropped. My intention is to be like, I think, back on schedule and really stick to the schedule like in March. So I need to ramp things up and get interviews. But like all of next week, as I was just telling you before we started recording, I'm not even going to be at home. So, right. so it's, you know, there's one week out of 52 that I won't even be able to even focus on comics. Uh, hopefully I'll be able to read comics. I have been reading yeah. a lot of comics that have been stacked up i'm like i can't have all these here and then it's just i gotta read the ones i bought and even books too so that's what i've been doing and trying to fill my brain with knowledge but welcome to 2024 (laughs) we have some catching up to do so let's just jump in it to it before you have to go uh go work for a living um let's go through first like we didn't even talk about uh you know convention coverage and i think Overall, we got the message, you know, like a few times last year that we did talk about conventions that they're back, but mm-hmm. we didn't. I don't think we ever talked about uh, New York Comic Con, definitely because I got married around that time, right. and then you went off the thought bubble. Uh, I think we met in between in person, actually, in be- between the two. We did. Um, how were those cons? I mean, what are your thoughts? Just you know, quickly, just general your you know the feeling of how it you know looking into. The future and your experience there especially with distillery a new comic book company <laughs> yeah right um uh yeah i mean thought bubble was great distillery we were all over it hosted a big party like you know the opening night you know had a huge presence like had a booth like you know was fantastic new york comic-con it was like really low-key they didn't have really any of that kind of stuff happening um so yeah it didn't really feel quite as you know distillery heavy as san diego did and thought bubble did i mean i don't yeah new york i mean i i probably should have just gone to your wedding and skipped new york honestly like i mean it's just the nature of that show i just really it's just a disaster i don't know what to say about it i mean it's just you think they could get their act together and they just they just don't i mean it's like the the show the floor is a disaster i mean artist alley was okay but it's still you know it's like it's oversold so you know, it's just even walking the alleys, like trying to look at people's stuff is impossible. And, you know, so I don't know. I, it's just, and it's, it's like other places you go to San Diego and the whole city kind of turns out for it, right? Yeah. Every bar you go to, every yep. restaurant, thought bubble, Harrogate too, you know, you know, you just get the vibe that like, it's a big deal to the community. I mean, New York just doesn't care. Right. And that's not New York's fault. It's just like, 
you know, you go and so you're at 50 different places. And if I didn't live in New York, I would never go to the New York Comic Con. Let me put it that way. You know, so. <laughs> wow. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just found another reason to go to New York. I wouldn't, <laughs> you know, per se, but like having lived there for 30 years or whatever, like it's because I'm over it, you know? So I don't, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, I wouldn't, I would never, I wouldn't pay a penny to go to the New York Comic Con if I didn't live in New York City, you know? So. Um, which, you know, maybe that sounds harsh, but like, let's, you know, we're trying to be real here in 2024, but thought bubble, I, if, if I was just a fan, I would pay to go to thought bubble because it's just, you can't not leave there feeling excited and energized and having met new people and, you know, seeing cool stuff. And it's a cutest little town, you know, the city's like this cute little town and like a picture perfect, like English, you know, kind of village. So yeah, that's got everything, you know, for sure. Sounds like I need to get my passport renewed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I would highly recommend it. I mean, if you're particularly if you're down on comics or you start to feel like, oh, comics, I don't care anymore. You know, particularly for an industry person like me, who definitely feels burnout at times and feels like maybe I've just stayed too long at the fair. You know, it's um, it's a great. I always feel like, oh, all right. Even if I'm not working on all the stuff that's happening there, it's like there's stuff and they just mix everybody up. So there's no real pecking order for things so you oh, know, nice. see a person that's kind of you know an a-list you know sean phillips but he's sitting next to a person who's just doing like mini comics and you know making merch and like online you know what i mean so it's mm-hmm. like there isn't that sort of um demarcation as much as there you see at some other shows where they you know stick the the, the indie artist alley like in another hall or another thing you know so yeah, so you really get like a good and there's yeah, I mean it's it's just really well run and it's it's just definitely yeah, if you could combine it with a trip to like you know, northern England or a little tour of the UK, like I would highly recommend it. Well, I do have a honeymoon coming up, so well there you go. go to Scotland, it's really close to Scotland. Scotland you know, yeah. you can go Leeds is a cool town, York is a cool town if you're into you know, like there's the street there that's sort of the basis for that diagon alley and harry potter and there's all kinds of cool you know medieval sort of you know historical stuff whatever but yeah Mm. it's yeah it's fantastic i love it well i mean the thing with new york it does always seem to be the same after like a couple years off with covid i mean it's the easy it's the biggest show it's like for me Uh you know i used to living in la getting to san diego was was very easy and the same thing living on the the, in the uh, new england now getting to new york's very easy but it, mm-hmm. it just feels like it it was like the same even before co i mean it just cookie cutter i guess the same issues yeah. i mean there's yeah. a tons of people which is great but moving around is always tough and then just how everything's sort of put apart you know artist alley's great but then it gets packed you know well, there's uh, it's even less because like dc doesn't have a press like almost none of the big publishers had a booth um, or anything oh, I mean, dc okay. for a while was doing that thing in like the crystal yeah, Alice and they weren't even there. They haven't. No, they haven't done. They didn't do that. I don't know if they did it the year before, but they were not definitely not there this year. Yeah, they were there the year before. You know, open. Yeah. So, yeah, no. So you don't even get that vibe. You know, like I don't even know who's filling up the hall per se. I mean, it's just you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, I I feel bad because I'm sure the people who go to it love it. There seems to be tons of cosplayers and Mm -hmm. stuff, but yeah, just for me, it's more relative to the other shows. Like I just find it to be, you know, really. you know, not, not run particularly well and just kind of overcrowded and hard to get to. And, you know, but I don't know, man, I'm just like, 
I'm just a grumpy old man. <laughs> and this year, everybody got COVID too. So yeah, no, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> luckily I'd had COVID from before San Diego, so I was like had my super immunity. But yeah, I can. I mean, there was like double digit people I could name off the top of my head that yeah. came home with COVID. So. Well, hey, uh, cons are back, and maybe it's yeah. time to branch out for me to do something different. I don't know. I'll have to see. You know, <laughs> go back and you know maybe combine some things or just do some local shows too. I mean, right. there's Terrific right. Con in Connecticut, which they're already gearing up and they always have a lot of cool people. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, and that's easy. And that's in a, that's in a casino too. So. Oh, yeah. And I, I've gone to that Boston one a few times and had a good time there. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that, that area of Boston's really cool, like down by the Harbor and everything. Yep. And, um, yeah, so yeah, that might be the way to do it. You know, it's you get a little more comic. I mean, even that Ithacon I go to every year up in Ithaca where I grew up, and it's like one of the. It's, I think it's the second oldest running convention after San Diego. Is um, it's great. It's really small. It's like one room in a, like a sort of you know student center on Ithaca College. But yeah, it's just fun. It's like you do it all in a day. You can buy some old comics, do a couple panels, and you know, have lunch with some folks and you're in and you're out, you know what I mean? But you feel like, Oh, that was fun. You know, it was like, so uh, yeah, I think that might be the way to go. Do you less, less, but better. Did you talk to Roger Stern? You remember we were talking about Captain yeah, American Burn. Did you get a chance to ask him about why he left the book? Um, yeah, we <laughs> talked a little briefly about it, but he was, yeah, he was cagey about it. I was kind of surprised. He was uh, like, well, you know, the statute of limitations, yeah, I run out, you know, but no, nah, he was kind of cagey. I mean, Roger's funny, but he's definitely one of the storytellers who he has like these stories that he's like workshopped over mm-hmm. the decade. And, and so he tells them and they're like, they're, they're airtight, you know, but so you don't really want to like disrupt his flow by like, you know, interjecting too many, like, you know, asides or something like that. So, cause then he starts to tell stories and he's kind of like holding cord in a way, and, but it's a funny story, but it's all sort of like, it has to flow in the way it flows. And it's funny too, cause his wife, Carmel is always there and she's heard the stories I'm sure a thousand times. So then she starts to like, you know, oh, but she left out the part about X, Y, and Z, you know? <laughs> like, so it's like a little comedy shtick, like, you know, things. So yeah, I didn't get to go deep on the Captain America, what happened in Captain America, but um, maybe the next, maybe next year. <laughs> get him into a... a this like, year, I guess it's this year. Yeah, know. it's already this year. So um, as we leave 2023 um, and really dive into 24. I know the running joke is that you never read comics, but you know, and you're not mm-hmm. the only professional who's been in the industry for a long time who, you know, sort of finds that his comic reading sort of slacks. <laughs> but was there one book that you did not work on that you were happy to read and just felt like you were not looking at how the sausage was made when you're while you were mm-hmm. reading it that engaged you as just a reader? and suspended disbelief and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, I mean, the best thing I read, I don't, but I don't think it, it didn't come out last year, but I, I got around to getting the collected editions of the Friday, the Ed Brubaker, Marcos Martin book that they do for mm-hmm. um, Brian Vaughn's, you know, the panel, panel syndicate, right? I think yep. it's called. Um, yeah, an image collected in two volumes, like essentially like the first, you know, a couple of story arcs. And I, yeah, I got, I picked up both of those and read them like house on fire, like back to back. Like that's just a 
fantastic book. Like, I mean, it's just like, it's got all the stuff that Ed has kind of always been doing. And I feel like in some ways or the stuff, even when I first started working with Ed years ago, um, like there's a kind of nostalgic quality to it, but there's a dark quality to it. And then the art and color and everything is just phenomenal. Like I just love Marcos's art. It's so yeah. good. And it's, um, yeah, it's just very kind of labyrinthine mystery thing, but it's, but then it's got this sort of elder gods Lovecraftian quality and it's in like a New England town that's, you know, very straight out of like kind of the Lovecraft mythos. Um, so it's like, it's just checked all the boxes for me. You know, it's a set at Christmas time. I love anything that's set at Christmas time. And everyone thinks I'm like grumpy old man or, you know, whatever, but I love Christmas. I love anything Christmas. It's kind of, you know, like my, my dark secret, but <laughs> so I, even as a kid, my all time favorite thing comic wise was all those Christmas when they do Christmas issues, you know, mm-hmm. or how ho- I guess holiday, whatever you want to say, but it's all just like, you know, I mean, you remember like they all, you know, there was like a Batman issue. There was a Superman issue. There was a, you know, and it was like the heroes at the holidays and sometimes they'd collect them and whatever. So yeah, Friday, like I can't recommend that, you know, highly enough. I, I just, uh, I had those, I didn't get to reading them there, but yeah, and it actually Christmas where it snows. You know? uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. Back in the old days, it's a, village, obviously. <laughs> it's a historical piece because it doesn't snow anymore <laughs> in New England on Christmas. Um, but, uh, yeah. So I've been, I flipped through that book and it is on my must read list. I didn't get to it, but it does look gorgeous. And actually they are working on a third arc. So it was, yeah. they were releasing yeah. that during last year. What do you think of the format seeing it's almost the opposite of what you're doing in distillery? Mm-hmm. Um, you mean like with the panel syndicate where it's sort of pay what you want? Well, format? I guess, I guess or we can mean? talk about, well, just the actual because i i didn't read it on the uh, online i bought the the two trades for uh-huh. lack of a better term and they're smaller they're more like the darwin Cook, yeah. uh the hunter yeah, yeah. run um yeah. but soft cover i mean what do you think i mean as dealing with i mean it i actually i mean because these guys can just choose what they want to do on format wise right um why do you think they went that way or what do you think about what's the upside of having that is it maybe cheaper and easier, more accessible um, for people or I don't know, yeah, because his artwork's amazing. His sure, artwork's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, it reduces the art down, which I'm not necessarily a huge fan of, but um, I, I mean, Ed, like as much as Ed has done, you know, all the stuff and, you know, successful in so many different parts of the industry and out of the industry, <clears throat> he's still like a comic book nerd, like at heart. Right. And mm-hmm. he's like about my age, I think. So it's like, I'm certain there was a conversation you know, I'm obviously I'm speculating, but like that was like, oh, remember those Christmas digests that yep. they used to make for DC? Yeah. Like, let's do that trim size or something like that. I just just kind of bit knowing, you know, the whole crew and the way, you know, and that sort of thing. Like, I just feel like there had to have been some conversation that was sort of like leaning into the kind of nostalgic element of that, because there was like in my use there were they definitely publish stuff in that size. I mean, it might be smart too, from the standpoint of like, that's the size, like my kids who only read manga, mm-hmm. everything they read is like, essentially it's, it's bigger than your typical manga, but like, you know, it's, it's closer in size to that. So there may be that too, that like, you know, there's old generation of readers that think that that's the size of a comic book page, as opposed to, you know, like what we think is the size of a comic book page. But, um, yeah, I mean, I really like the whole model. I always like that. I mean, 
when Brian first launched that, you know, kind of pay your own price sort of thing. I remember him saying, I don't know if it was to me or in interviews or whatever, that just he was surprised at how many people not only paid, but how many people paid more than what they would have charged for a book, you know, like that sort of weird, because this was kind of pre, I mean, he launched that quite a while ago. I think it was really before or right around the time that Patreons and all that stuff started to kind of happen, you know, and I'm even being a part of a bunch of Patreons. I'm always surprised at like the tier levels of support and how much people are willing to spend on stuff, like for something that they really feel like connected to and a community of and stuff, you know, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I remember him saying, like, expecting, sort of jokingly, like, oh, no one's going to pay for this, you know? But they, but him saying, like, not only do we hardly have anyone who takes it for free, almost no one takes it for free. And then there's a good number of people who pay more than, you know, like, if, if it would cost $3 on the stands, that they'll pay 5 or they'll mm-hmm. pay 10 you know? And, but then a lot, the, the lion's share being sort of about what you would pay you know, for a regular book sort of thing, which I don't know. I remember, you know, maybe that's changed or, you know, I don't know exactly. It might depend on what the project is, but it seemed to be doing well because the thing he did with Nico, you know, seemed to be going well and stuff. So, yeah, I like the whole model. I think it's kind of interesting and cool, you know. I mean, it's just sort of, I like the way, I mean, Brian's done a good job of that son, that Steven Soderbergh, like I'll do one for you and then I'll do one for, me kind of thing like with that sort of you know stuff so but yeah i like i thought the trim size was great i loved it yeah i mean maybe after the the third arc comes out they'll probably collect it in a big oversized hardcover book i'm sure (laughs) an image is great about that i mean they just sort of let you i mean the creators really do kind of dictate that you know like Mm -hmm. we went to them about the we were just talking about the moonshine collection that collects the whole thing um and you know moonshine did okay like the numbers you know it was I don't think it was relatively successful, you know, but it wasn't like setting the world on fire. And yeah, so you would think like DC would never do that probably because it's like, well, you didn't sell X, Y, so we're not going to spend the money on a hardcover oversized thing because there's no audience for it. But yeah, they were totally like, oh, we love this book. You guys, you know, we love you guys. So like, let's put it together and put it out. And like, you know, so yeah, I mean, I think that it's, so I'm sure it was something Ed and them cooked up, you know, just to sort of be like, let's just do something different, you know? Well, um, yeah. And thank you again for that moonshine. Um, you know, that oh, yeah. is an amazing looking book. I think Eduardo just once again, knocks it out of the park. And I think, you know, there's a, as I think I was emailed you regarding Brian's, the lead character that Brian creates, it's, mm-hmm. It almost goes back to the Wolfman of like this guy who's, you know, Lon Chaney Jr. just plays this sort of doomed character from the start. And I just felt like that had a sense of that throughout the whole book, too. You know, in Moonshine, it's sort of, you know, because I just love the Wolfman. I think it's a a great little movie, really. You know, it's like 85 minutes. And and the way, yeah, you're right. The way he portrays him is just this kind of noir, almost loser that just can't get out of his own skin, like literally, or get out of it, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, even I mean, speaking of the original movie, but the same thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. even I think Brian said in an interview, like it's about his drinking and alcohol. Yeah. Essentially, at the end of the day, it's not about like him being a werewolf in like a pinstripe suit, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like if you kind of look at it more about, you know, his own choices and, you know, his his drinking problems and all the rest of it, like then it's, yeah, it really kind of opens up 
some of the stuff. But yeah, I mean, for the amount of, I mean, I don't know how many pages that thing, like 600 pages or something. I mean, it's <laughs> crazy how big it is. It was like six, 70 bucks, I think it was. So yeah, $69.99 or something. So, um, and, you know, don't, don't think we didn't have a chuckle or two about that either. We're not that grown up, you know? <laughs> but, you know but yeah, so, yeah, no, it was great. I mean, I think, you know, I, I think I haven't seen numbers on it or anything because it just came out like in, you know, the last quarter of the year. But, um, yeah, you know, curious to see how it's if people are buying it or what well it's out there you can get it on amazon for discount and it's i don't know i mean for the people who really like looking at artwork (laughs) or or it's a great keeping a door it's a great book you know yeah i think so it looks great reads great and it's you get your money's worth yeah it's huge um so so 2024 um well let's just jump right into it so your launch you've in the middle you know, you pushed all in onto distillery yeah. and we all know that a comic book publishing company is a, mar- a marathon, not a sprint. Um, and now, you know, people are talking that the direct market's going to fail now mm-hmm. and comics will never be the same. Of course, we've been hearing right. that for decades, longer than we've been alive. So I guess taking all comics broke me, comics are dying um, next, you know, this year will make or break the direct market or, you know, retail brick and mortar. Um, you know, we see sort of Mark, um, Mark Miller getting into it. And then another retail talking about, you know, having issues with economics, but then it gets mixed up with sort of his attitude towards, for lack of a better term, woke culture. And that goes Mm -hmm. viral. Where do you sit at looking at 2024? Because you're, you know, you have the digital stuff, you guys, you know, you and Chip and everybody else over there now that you have Bryce Carlson, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, gold, Bryce, Bryce, gold, gold. Bryce Gold, I'm sorry. Bryce Gold is there yeah. um, from Amazon and Comixology. So you have yeah. a lot of the old Comixology crew and approach. W- what's your take on 2024 in comics? <laughs> Oh, it's 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 all doomed, or the future's so bright. I got to wear shades. We're all gonna die, uh, you know. <laughs> right? I hate myself, and I want to die. For Cobain, put so eloquently. Um, I don't know, man. You know, I, it, it's a little baffling to me, given that, and it's just sort of across the culture. I think, it, or at least the United States, it's like when you really look at the numbers, the economics, and the job yeah. things, and all that, like people should be feeling a lot more positive than they are, but it's, um, I, I don't know, you know, it, some of it's this just kind of doom and gloom culture that, you know, we find ourselves in that everything gets amplified, like the negative stuff gets amplified much more than the positive stuff. But I mean, last year for us was fantastic. I mean, devil's cut, like mm-hmm. far exceeded our expectations. The first two issues is gone and Somna. You know, the numbers were like way, I think, higher than we kind of thought for really given the kind of stories, you know, that we're telling and stories, things like that. format, and, you, know, you know, format, price, point, price point, all the rest. You you know? Know? Um, yeah, I mean, those books sold out like immediately, you know, at like the printer level and everything. And, you know, so I don't know, you know, that sort of stuff. And we have like a million cool things coming up this year. So at least in our little world, like things are, you know we're pretty, pretty optimistic about stuff. I mean, I understand 
some of the economics and there's, you know, I mean, I know there's going to be cash flow issues with the way some of these shops are, you know, run and, and some of the higher price points like ours, you know, make that more challenging, I'm sure for, for shop owners, like they can't necessarily go, you know, all in on something. Um, because it's just like a cash flow, you know, issue, even if there's some demand there for it. But, um, I, you know, I, I don't know. I've probably, I feel like I've told this story before in here, but it's like, you know, I quit a very lucrative job in movie publicity in the 90s to come take a job at DC. And I took literally like what amounted to like a 75% pay cut. Like I think my starting, ta- I think my starting salary <laughs> at DC when I started as assistant editor was like 27, five or something. It was like, you know what? Um, and so, you know, I mean, it was a huge risk. My wife was not thrilled, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, um, but it was like, well, this could really be like a career for me, you know? Anyway. So I make this move. She's on board, not happy, but willing to go along with it. I essentially just walk away from, you know, like a six figure salary to go to work as an assistant editor at DC Comics. The week after I start, they call an all hands meeting. This is like October 1999. They call oh, an geez. all hands meeting, which is like everybody in the company. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't even have it in DC, like offices proper. Like we go over to like Time Warner building and it's in this auditorium and it's this all like emergency all hands meeting. And it's Paul Levitt's like standing up and talking about like the state of the industry and the numbers and how soft they are. And we may need to be making cutbacks and we need to start getting stories that, you know, like, you know, he starts, they start like kind of waxing philosophic about, well, you know, when we were doing, you know, Watchmen 15 years ago and we were doing this and we need these kind of stories and this is what's going to move the needle and all the same shit. And, and, you know, I literally walked out of there. Like I felt like I was going to puke, like in the, the closest garbage can. I was, I went home and I told my wife, and I was like, I, you know, I might've just made like the biggest mistake of my whole life of like quitting this other job. And, you know, like basically the, what, I mean, I, and I was really unhappy. I don't know if I'm wrong. I'm thrilled that I would have gone to work at Starbucks instead of doing that shit anymore. But it was just like, you know, I, I couldn't believe it. And I was looking at like Karen and Shelly and be like, what did you guys do to me? Like, I don't understand. Cause I had just been a fan. I had just walked in on the street, like having bought, I mean, I bought the first issue of hundred bullets that summer, like it's, you know, local comic shop, like, and then I was working on it like six months later or something, you know, which is very surreal. But, um, yeah. So I don't know, long story short, that was 26 years ago, 25 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's like, well, but we're still here, you know, and we still had all this great stuff happen in between and things. So, you know, and that's pre movie stuff. That's pre anything, you know I mean? Mm-hmm. It was literally like, you know, it was because preacher sales had been, you know, a hundred thousand and now they were 80,000 or whatever it was, you know I mean? And I know those numbers, if those numbers start to go down and eventually go down and on a long enough timeline, you know, our survival rate is always zero, you know, but it's just like, I, I don't know. I mean, it just feels like some of the same, the same old stuff, you know, and it's like, um, you know, but I, you know, what do I know? Well, one of the things in seeing this is a show called Portrait of an Editor, basically. Mm-hmm. There has been, especially that viral video, a talk about editors doing their job and needing better editors. Mm-hmm. And so you're an editor who's been doing his job since 1999 or started right. off on this track. I mean, and now you're in distillery where you're working with a bunch of A-listers on creator-owned stuff. 
mm-hmm. has any of this or your thoughts towards what you want to do with a, a new company, um, you know, do you look at your, your approach to editing? I mean, with the numbers, is there anything you can, like people are like, we need better editors and stronger editors. That was part of this conversation has still been part of this conversation about mm-hmm. generating the, the new Watchmen, the new, mm-hmm. you know, Dark Knight, which, you know, yeah, drove people to comic book stores, but, you know, and I guess maybe it did help sales overall, right, you know, lift all the other boats. But, I mean, that's a short-term thing. But as an editor, how do you, do you look to improve? Do you look to, uh, to approach something differently? Do you tell some of your A-listers, no, that's not going to work? I know it's a great story, but I don't, you know, do you have to go to your publisher? You know, yeah. You know, let's um, talk about that. That like for the last couple minutes of like, you know, people have been bitching about the editors suck. So what do you think? You know, that you're part um, of the problem. Well, yeah. yeah. No, I'm not part of the problem because there's a lot of because honestly, if they modeled more editors after me, I think that they would be more successful. And that sounds egotistical. But what you're talking about when you're talking about Dark Knight, you're talking about. Um, where you're talking about a book like, you know, Watchmen, whatever. Yeah. Or you're talking about DC, you know, Batman at some of its like heights and things like that, whether it's, you know, the Jim Lee run, other runs. Yeah. The editor, but the editors are like more empowered to like take chances on stuff. Right. You know, I mean, I don't think the editors are the problem. The editors don't, they don't have any power. They don't have any vision. They don't, they're not allowed to have any vision, really. I mean, I'm sure some of them come in there with vision, but I don't think that it's, um, I don't think that's the, really the problem. The problem is that they're not empowered to like bring their ideas to the fore. You know, like you're not going to get a Denny O'Neill at a DC comic and just the structure of DC comics. Like you're just not, you know, I mean, between what Dan, I mean, the Dio sort of took it over and it is vision so i think you know honestly like i think dan did a lot of cool stuff and i like dan it's not really a thing but like him making it this sort of like top down dictated stuff like where he's in every story meeting he's planning all the big events he's doing all that kind of stuff i don't personally think that's the role of the person in the position he was in at the time you know i think the position is to sort of look at the thirty thousand foot view and then hire the people who have those ideas and then let them do what they do. I mean, that's the basis of my entire career. Like, I don't know shit about any of this stuff, but like, I know who's good and I hire the person who's good and I get out of their way and let them do what they do. And if I have to take incoming fire for that, then I take the incoming fire. Like, I mean, uh, you know, I've jokingly said that to people over the years, it's like that scene in like the Lord of the Rings, like you have my sword or you have my, you know, act it's like that's my job and when i worked at dc that was my job like my job was to insulate you from all of the bs that was coming my way and some of it would trickle down and some of it like there were times but i would never go to people and be like oh well you know let's not do that because we don't want to get in trouble i mean there were times we had to change stuff sure but like there wasn't times when that was never the beginning of the process that was just like a symptom of you know, the process kind of thing. And sometimes we changed it because like they just weren't going to let it fly. And other times we fought, you know, we'd always fight back and sometimes we'd win, sometimes we'd lose. But like my job was to sort of 
I mean, it's kind of hokey, but there's like that scene in Jerry Maguire when he's talking to his client and he's like, the things that I've done for you that you'll never know about and the things that, you know, because he's complaining that the, the client is just egotistical and all about him and all about like, no one throws me the ball and all that. And Jerry has a huge speech about like the things I do for you that you never see and you never know, you know, mm-hmm. um, like that's what I've been doing for like 25 years, you know, and I don't mean to sound like a martyr about that or anything. It's just like, I feel like that's my job. My job is to make the, the playing field as, as smooth and level for you as it can be, because you're the one with the talent. You're the one who has to stare at the blank page. You're the one who has to grind the pages till two o'clock in the morning or get me those files on a Sunday afternoon when you'd rather be at a picnic with your family. You know, so it's like, so the least I can do is stick my neck into the lion's mouth for you, you know, 10 times out of 10, right? So like, but that's not the way most of these people operate, you know, and I don't know that that's because they're not even allowed to, or yeah, I, I think it's a product of the system because yeah. no one is really being trained. Like, there's no one there at those companies. I mean, even a place like DC. I mean, the biggest loss at DC was the the institutional knowledge that got lost when mm-hmm. they did that to the company. They yeah. gutted the company, right? Like institutionally, from the top to the bottom. So anybody who had any kind of, you know, outside outstanding stuff and some of it was good and some of it was bad i'm not saying it was like a perfect world and suddenly oh it isn't now it's just that like you can't remove that many people from an entity that have that much institutional knowledge and know how things get worked and have experience you know like there's there's something to be said for having experience and wisdom and you know and also like a little juice like for me it's like i got to the point at vertigo where it's like i had enough juice that like i could be risky about you know, pushing back on stuff. Like mm-hmm. I was the one in the meetings who would raise my hand and be like, this is a really stupid idea. Like, why are we doing this? And every, you know, I'd go to these all hands meetings and raise my hand and ask like the one question that everybody wanted to ask. And people would come up to me afterwards and be like, oh, you know, I, I can't believe you asked that question of Diane Nelson or something. And I was like, well, I only asked that question because one, I want to know the answer. But two, it's like, I feel secure enough in my position that like I can do it. And I feel like part of my job is to then like speak for the person who can't be spoken for. And that's, uh, it sounds very, it probably sounds kind of, you know, ridiculously like egocentric, but I feel like that's a huge part of an editor's job is to sort of to, to do that. It's not, you know, but these, I feel like most of these people like, you know, they're not being trained. They're not being empowered. They're not being just sort of told to go do this. So it becomes this, even the things with like trying to get like these woke elements or whatever these people want to complain about, you know, call it. Some of that is, I think there's ways to put that sort of stuff in there that's probably interesting and thoughtful and provocative or whatever, but the company's not interested in being provocative or thoughtful, right? I mean, they're just not. No, I, I don't. It's like, you know. Yeah, I don't think the company really gives a shit uh, about right, right. A, a political agenda or social agenda. Um, it may they might be on board because that seems to be the flavor of the month but i mean let's face it all art is political or social in one way it's a commentary because it's a person's point of view and a creator's yeah, point of view right. and i think i think the creator should be allowed to do that or or at least i mean depending on how what it is but the creator should be the one carrying that it should be the creator and to just push it across the company i think that's a little ridiculous because then it feels like it's just sort of manufactured it's not 
real. It's not authentic. You know, it's not a point of view, you know, that somebody is using their experiences to create a character that represents a point of view or an experience and going from there. And let's just be honest that any form of art, comics have always been political, always been social from day one. But it's always been creator with an editor probably protecting them. Yeah. Not a publisher saying we need to have it this way. And I think that's where it feels off. That's why it feels, it doesn't feel honest, I guess. No, that's, you're right. Because authenticity is what you're after, right? I mean, (laughs) that's the thing for me. It's always like people can smell it when it's not that. And that's what people are reacting to, whether they know it or not, I feel like is this kind of stuff. Like they're just checking boxes. And so maybe this month, like the boxes they want to check are these boxes over here, but they're they're not, and I'm not even saying the people involved, like the creators probably have very like strong points of view and want yeah. to do some of this stuff. Even these editors probably do too, but it, it ends up getting so watered down and sort of by committee. And so, you know, like there's a safetyness to it, or it's just like, okay, well, if we have a, you know, a brown person and a gay person and a person in a wheelchair or whatever, all on the cover of the book, well, then we're somehow meeting. We're some. good. Yeah. yeah <laughs> we met some. I mean, honestly, you don't know what goes on behind the scenes. I mean, I know it like even, you know, my wife's an architect and it's like, you know, they start to want to do all these green projects and stuff like that. And it's sort of, you know, like you start to get those kind of mandates that are very like specific to a particular thing. So it's like there could even easily be those sorts of, you know, sort of bigger picture, you know, goals in mind that they're setting out at some of these companies, but it all just becomes very performative to me. Like it's not really authentic. It's not, it's not really taking a position that's like necessarily going to be provocative or not, but then because it's also milk toast and so watered down and by committee, like, I think even these people who don't like it, like, I feel like if it were really, you know, a lot of it was coming across maybe in the way that the creators intended to, like, it, at least it would be a point of, like, discussion. But, like, we don't discuss mm-hmm. anything anymore. Like, everything is just like, you suck, this sucks, you know, like, everything's doom. you know. Like, it's not even, like, in those old days, like, there like, were things that you could sort of be provocative about and, like, it was okay to just, well, I don't like it, so I'm not going to buy it. But that doesn't that's not really like an option anymore. It feels like, you know, mm-hmm. well, I mean, you mentioned Denny O'Neill and let's talk about the run on green lantern, green arrow. Mm-hmm. Every issue mm-hmm. was as political and cultural as you could get. I mean, right. you know, and, um, yeah, I mean, but there was a conversation later. It was done. It was out there. It was, and it was sort of, you know, yeah, you, you, you made breaking the correct. comics code too. Right. But some of that may have been like somebody at DC editorially, Julie Schwartz or someone above them saying like, well, look at like how well Marvel's doing with, you know, like Spider-Man on campus, like having anti-war shit. So it's like, okay, well now we need to do that kind of stuff. But then at that point, like somebody got out of the way and let those guys do it. You know, that's the miracle of it. Like that's the thing about it that's so shocking to me when I read some of that old stuff. It's like, wow, somebody at some point signed off on this. And was like, yeah, we're good. And but it was somebody like a Joe Orlando or a Joe Kubert showing up to work like in a suit and a tie from like the World War II generation. But even they had the sense to sort of, you know, say, well, I don't get it or it's not for me. But like, okay, let's go. Like, it's, you know, mm-hmm. let's give it a try. Let's put it out there. You know. But I, I don't know. I, I just feel like you know. I mean, there is an editorial problem, but I don't think it's an editorial problem necessarily in the way that they. Um, that sometimes it gets expressed like online or because I don't think people really have a real sense of what, 
what the process is or what it used to be versus what it is. I mean, I'm lucky enough that I was kind of there right at that sort of transitional point, like out of a lot of that and into like a newer approach to a lot of this stuff. And then seeing the kind of corporatization of these companies and stuff. And um, so I was fortunate to kind of see both, both ends of that spectrum, you know, like to, you know, coming into it now, I don't know what you would, I don't know what you'd be doing. Like as you're, you know, if you're trying to get hired as like an assistant editor, I, I mean, someplace, you know, and, and um, I will, I gotta get, get you out of here, but I think in watching it, it feels like it, you know, doing this show, an emphasis on just traffic managing. And, you know, my point is trying to get creative stuff going, you know, looking at the editor as a creative person involved in this and, and where they are. And I think, that maybe that that is something we need to look back at what like people like Denny O'Neill or what Karen was doing of just letting the creators bring their point of view and then shepherding the books instead of just managing pages and making sure you know something gets done on time you know mm-hmm. less traffic managing and more of like um sort of you know stepping steps you know being an intermediate between the creator and the company not just dictating what the company wants, but yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know if that's a personality thing and then mm-hmm. just the people aren't willing to do it or they're not, or if they're just not empowered to do it or they're too scared to do it. Um, I don't know. I mean, there were always those people that just traffic stuff at DC. I mean, there certainly were people, you know, DCU people that, you know, were just traffickers, you know, there were, mm-hmm. and, and then there were people who didn't like Bob Shrek, not yeah. a trafficker. Like he was in there with like ideas but, you know, he took a lot of shit, you know, I mean, like he took a, he put a lot of risk, you know, he got in trouble sometimes, Like he got called to the principal's office. Sometimes I got called to the principal's office multiple times, you know, but like it, it even, but the structure of it was such that like, I was looking out for the creators in certain ways, but then Karen Berger was looking out for us, like as the editors making these choices mm-hmm. when there were many times when she would get called to Paul's office for something. And I'm sure it was as a result of something I did or a book I you know, or something that was in a book or something that, you know, ruffled somebody's feathers. But she, she, she would, you know, sometimes you'd know about it, but sometimes you wouldn't. So I'm guessing that just as like the same with me, there was probably tons of stuff that happened that she never told us happened. Like, you know, that she took bullets for us all the time, mm-hmm. you know, but that's what you need that kind of structure. And then you see what the result is because we were empowered to like take risks. You know, like a Jason Aaron comes off the street and no one's ever heard of him. And he's got a little tiny book about Vietnam, which you couldn't like give away for free. And, you know, but now he's Jason Aaron, you know, because mm-hmm. it's like I was empowered to take a risk on that guy because it was clear from Jump Street that he had a voice that people were going to respond to, you know. And I, I just don't know that that's, you know, I mean, I feel bad about it, but I don't, you know. But I mean, the thing is, the lucky thing for me, like a place like Distillery, is like that's the, that's why they hire me to be the editorial, you know, voice or whatever it is, you know? Yep. I mean, cause they, they know what they're good at. You know, David's very good at putting the company together and the tech stuff and things. And Chip is great at the marketing and the people stuff and the outreach and the, you know, the PT Barnum shit. But, but they also recognize that like, well, we're not really great at editing comics. So why don't we get an editor that knows what the hell he's doing? And like, you know, whatever and then like let's get a bunch of really cool people and talented people and like let's just turn them loose you know gotcha so no to answer your big question i don't 
you know, I, I'm not hearing pitches and I'm like, well, I don't know, you know, cause Joe blow at this comic book shop that he doesn't want another story about X, Y, or Z, like whatever, if it fails, it fails. But like, you know, I'd rather go down in flames, like doing cool stuff that people might want to read in 10 years than worrying about, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, and, and I'm, I understand I'm fortunate that I'm in that position you know, and there's a certain amount of privilege that comes with that, but it's also like I've been doing this for 25 years and grinding harder than anyone else that I know practically. Like I'm up earlier than you are, and I'm up, stay up later than you do. You know, so it's just like, you know, so on a certain level, it's just like, uh, you know, okay, well, great. Well, let's. I finally found a place where we can just kind of let it all hang out. You know, and and hopefully, I mean, so far it's been doing well. And I mean, you look at the book we got coming out with. Scott and James Tinian and Brian and Eduardo. I mean, those three books have already been like announced, you know, coming up in March, April, May. And then there's a ton of stuff behind it. So it's like every month there's going to be some new thing from a person, a creator that you really like. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, the rest of this stuff is just going to have to like work itself out, you know, I hope, you know. Yep. Well, I gotta let you get going. I know you gotta yeah, get back sorry, to work. I gotta <laughs> so, work. And, um, I we will be talking in twenty twenty four. I will get my act together, and we will have more conversations this year. <laughs> yeah, all right, that sounds good. Let's do it whenever, even and, just, you know, like I, quick quickies in and out. Yeah, you know, and then I you know, just sort of see how things are going. Yeah, I will. Um, I'm gonna reach out to you later off offline and about formatting and stuff. And but let's. Uh, yeah, okay. we will be back. And thank you for this catch up. So have a a good weekend and enjoy the snow. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, stay safe out there, buddy. See you later.